1: And away we go, episode 286 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, April 6th, 2022, the day before Major League Baseball's opening day, the day before the first round of the Masters. And how about this Tiger Wood stuff? Tiger, El Tigre, uh, looking like he's going to be playing In the Masters, press conference on Tuesday, quote, as of right now, I feel like I am going to play as of right now, end quote. Uh, Tiger has a first-round tee time on Thursday morning of 10.34. Nearly lost his right leg in that car crash in February 2021. Doctors inserted a rod in the tibia of his right leg and plates and screws in his right ankle and foot. And now, he appears to be on the doorstep of once again playing in his tournament, the best major in golf, the Masters. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast podcast. Uh, we on Tuesday had yet another statement issued in the saga that has become the alleged financial impropriety of Of our football team, the Commanders, uh, next segment, I'll react to that statement, which came from one of Dan Snyder's many, and I mean many, lawyers. What do you think that Dan's lawyers are charging him? Like, how much has Danny spent on lawyers over the last two years? We can only imagine. You know, who knows where all of this scandal stuff is going to lead us in terms of Dan's future as owner of the Commanders. But I do know this with total and complete certainty. The lawyers, oh, they're getting paid. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. Uh, Anyway, next segment, I'll react to the latest statement in the Commander's alleged financial impropriety and give you some thoughts on everything going on with this alleged financial impropriety, including this. Could it be that this alleged financial impropriety stuff could end up working in Dan's favor? Something to be thinking about. Also on the show, I will talk Commander's football. Uh, we can't just be all scandal all of the time. Uh, we have to preserve our sanity. And so I'm going to talk Carson Wentz with the host of a top Indianapolis Colts podcast, Cody Felger. Uh, he is the host of Bring the Juice, which is a Colts podcast. And yes, the name of the pod is Bring the Juice. I'll have to ask Cody, does he like the juice?
2: You like it in juice,
1: eh? <laughs> yes, does Cody like the juice? Uh, perhaps we'll find out. And no, I'm not talking about Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, but with Cody, we'll talk about not just why the Colts traded Wentz, but also what the commanders are getting in Wentz as a quarterback. You know, as time goes on here, what the commanders have in Wentz as a quarterback really does become more important than the circumstances of the trade. Like, the trade is done, you know? Whatever the reasons for the trade, whatever was behind the trade, the trade has been executed. And so moving forward, who Carson Wentz is and can be as a quarterback for the Commanders starts to become the primary focus. Uh, Also on the show, the Wizards. Another win for the Wiz. Uh, A fifth win in seven games. Leave it to our Wizards to play well with their season done from a postseason contention standpoint, but an impressive win for the Wizards on Tuesday night, a 132-114 win at the Minnesota Timberwolves, despite the Wizards continuing to be without two of their best players in Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma. I'll talk about some very impressive performances from Krista Porzingis, Ish Smith, and Daniel Gafford, and I'll talk Nationals. Uh, Their spring training is over. Their opening day roster now is clear, and it is a roster. That will include Johan Adone in the season opening rotation. What I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 285, as being a possibility, now essentially is a reality. Johan Adone in the Nats season opening rotation. We'll see how he does, but boy, would it be good for the rebuilding and pitching starved Nats to have something here. In a dome. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike on a recent airport experience that potentially involved a commander's quarterback writes Mike, I am not making this up. I was at Dulles at 10 p.m. on a recent Sunday night waiting for my flight when I heard on the loudspeaker paging passenger Tay <laughs> Passenger tay please come to the podium. Unfortunately, I did not see Taylor Heineke, but maybe a Dulles employee is a fan of the pod. Uh, thank you for the email, Mike. Perhaps that is the case. Uh, I would not be surprised. Uh, now, tay figures to be the commander's backup quarterback for the 2022 season. Email from Adam on the commander's expected starting quarterback. For the 2022 season, Carson Wentz, uh, a.k.a. Commander Carson, including what happened with Wentz in the Indianapolis Colts' horrendous loss at the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 18 of last season to cost the Colts a playoff spot. Writes Adam, hey Al, I'm freakishly optimistic about Wentz. His 27-7 to 7 touchdown pass to interception ratio and top 10 total QBR ranking from last season are solid. But here's the juice. I watched the Colts versus Jags, and Wentz wasn't terrible. But you know who was? Everybody else with a blue horseshoe on his helmet. The Colts' offensive line was atrocious. Wentz was under fire all game. Jonathan Taylor had no room to run and was stuffed on multiple fourth and short's at the goal line, the Colts' wideouts could not get any separation. The Colts' defense was terrible. Terrible coaching and prep by Frank the Turps staff. Wentz's mistakes occurred when the Colts were down big and he was forcing the issue under heavy pressure. His early season struggles followed mistime due to an injury. He is a major upgrade. From our quarterbacks of late, and the schedule should be softer, don't be shocked to see 9-10 to 10 wins if we get a stud receiver with the 11th pick and Chase Young and Montez Swed do their jobs. Uh, thank you for the email, Adam. Uh, speaking, by the way, of the commanders potentially getting a stud receiver with the number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, multiple reports on Tuesday that the Commanders are going to be welcoming in some receiver draft prospects in the coming days, including Chris Olave of Ohio State on Thursday. So exciting news there. I'm going to be talking a lot about Olave and his uh, Buckeyes brother Garrett Wilson, on Thursday's show, episode 287. But yeah, it is very clear that Carson Wentz struggling in week 18 is a big part of why, at the very least, the Colts owner and CEO Jim Irsay soured on Wentz and wanted him gone after just one season with the team. But among the many things that I know that I've taken from our conversations on this podcast with people who know the Colts well, uh, Bob Kravitz, senior writer for The Athletic, longtime Indianapolis sports columnist, he joined me on episode 269. Uh, Colts insider Mike Chappell of Fox 59 CBS4 Sports in Indianapolis, he joined me on episode 277, is that what happened with the Colts in week 18 last season wasn't just about Carson Wentz. Uh, Now, he was a part of what happened with the Colts in week 18 of last season. You can't just absolve him of what happened, but he was far from the Colts' only problem in that game. Well, if you have any problems with or questions about your skin, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He is a big Commander's fan. He is a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, the institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis. And comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state of the art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But that phone number is 301-396-3401. You can also visit Mid-Atlantic Skin dot com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skin care, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. All right. So before we talk some actual commander's football, uh, I do have a few thoughts for you on the commander's alleged financial impropriety. uh, As we on Tuesday morning got yet another statement in this whole saga. (laughs) Boy, has this thing become ugly quickly. Uh, So it was last Thursday that we had multiple reports that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which is the congressional committee that has been investigating the commander's workplace misconduct scandal now is examining potential financial impropriety by the team. Then on Saturday night, sports business insider AJ Perez of Front Office Sports, who joined me on Monday's show, episode 284, reported that the House Oversight Committee has received information that alleges that the commander's kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. Then on Monday, we learned the identity of the whistleblower, or at least a whistleblower in all of this, Jason Friedman. Uh, Jason Friedman was a ticketing employee of the Commanders franchise for well over 24 years, March 1996 to October 2020. Then on Monday afternoon, we got the beginning of a nasty back and forth. A Commander spokesperson on Monday afternoon issued the following statement to multiple media members: "Quote: There has been absolutely no withholding of ticket revenue at any time." by the commanders those revenues are subject to independent audits by multiple parties anyone who offered testimony suggesting a withholding of revenue has committed perjury plain and simple and quote then later on Monday afternoon Jason Friedman's attorney Lisa Banks issued a statement quote the Washington commanders just released a statement to members of the media in that statement they defamed my client Jason Friedman who came forward at the request of the Congressional Oversight Committee and testified truthfully with evidence. Unfortunately, Mr. Friedman is unable to defend himself publicly due to contractual constraints that prevent him from speaking freely. He would be happy to recount his testimony. If Dan Snyder and the Washington commanders allow him to do so, I will await their response End quote. So all of that brought us to Tuesday morning when we got yet another statement, uh, this time from commander's attorney Joseph Takapina. Quote The commanders did not reference Mr. Friedman or anyone else by name in their statement. However, if Mr. Friedman believes he has been defamed, he should bring a defamation suit. The commanders will gladly accept service and vigorously defend any such claim. End quote. So once again, we have the commanders digging their heels in of Jason Friedman's attorney, Lisa Banks, having dug her heels in. Uh, here's the deal, and this remains the deal. Somebody is wrong, if not outright lying. Either the commanders are wrong and or lying, or Jason Friedman is wrong and or lying. It can't be that both the commanders and Jason Friedman are right. Uh, perhaps each side believes that it's right. In other words, it isn't necessarily the case that one side is definitely lying, but it can't be that each side is right, okay? Somebody is wrong if not outright lying. But a few things off this latest statement in the parade of statements in this alleged financial impropriety by the commanders. So this Joseph Tacapina statement is interesting in noting that, quote, the commanders did not reference Mr. Friedman or anyone else by name in their statement, end quote. Uh, Takapina isn't wrong in saying that. Lisa Banks in her statement on Monday afternoon said that the commanders in their statement on Monday afternoon defamed Jason Friedman. The commanders in their statement on Monday afternoon never mentioned Jason Friedman. Uh, now, they certainly implied Jason Friedman, but they never said Jason Friedman. What that Lisa Bank statement on Monday afternoon did was confirm to the world that Jason Friedman is the whistleblower, or at least a whistleblower in this alleged financial impropriety by the commanders. Jason Friedman's name never came up in this alleged financial Impropriety by the commanders until that report by Sports Business Insider Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic on Monday morning. Then Lisa Banks, in her statement on Monday afternoon, confirmed that Kaplan was correct. But Lisa Banks didn't have to do that. Uh, I'm not sure why she did that, but it seems to me that she can't be threatening a defamation lawsuit when the commanders, in their statement on Monday afternoon, never actually mentioned the name Jason Friedman. Uh, A secondary item in all of this is the concept of the non-disclosure agreement. Uh, Non-disclosure agreements or NDAs have come up a lot in the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, Dan Snyder is known for having employees sign NDAs. He's certainly not alone in this regard. Plenty of companies have employees sign NDAs. You can always email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike A. Hey, sorry if I missed this, but wonder if you could help us out understanding these NDAs that Dan Snyder has everyone signed to keep silent in the face of his illegal and or unethical activities. Uh, As you know, attorney Lisa Banks has implied that Jason Friedman is prohibited via an NDA from speaking freely on the matter, publicly, I suppose, because he did testify to Congress. But This got me wondering, do NDAs really prohibit individuals from coming forward with evidence of crimes? I usually think of NDAs protecting proprietary business practices and secrets, but what if Dan Snyder has actually committed crimes? Is an individual really prohibited from reporting that crime due to an NDA? That just doesn't seem right. Anyway, maybe we'll be able to get back to actual football talk sometime. Let's hope Carson Wentz shocks the world and returns to form this year. I know it may be a long shot, but we comms fans got to have something to hope for. Keep up the great work, Al. Love your show. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, And good questions that you raise in that email. Uh, I am no lawyer, okay? But I do know that NDAs, for the most part, cannot be used to protect someone who has committed a crime. In other words, if you witnessed a crime as an employee and your employer has you sign an NDA, you can report that crime and not be held to the NDA that you have signed. And that makes sense, right? I mean, if your boss robs a bank uh, and makes you sign an NDA, that NDA should not be legally enforceable to where you can't report that your boss robbed the bank. Uh, I also know that if you're subpoenaed, you can break your NDA. A subpoena trumps an NDA. What I don't know, though, is whether voluntarily speaking to Congress allows you to break your NDA. And it doesn't appear as if Jason Friedman testified before Congress because he was subpoenaed. It appears as if he testified voluntarily, or perhaps he was asked to testify and he obliged in testifying. Uh, Although his attorney, Lisa Banks, in her statement on Monday afternoon said that Jason Friedman, quote, came forward at the request of the Congressional Oversight Committee and testified truthfully with evidence, end quote. So that would suggest that Congress asked Jason Friedman to testify, but was he actually subpoenaed? Um, And does that matter? If you get asked to testify, is that uh, not as strong in terms of standing up to the NDA as having been subpoenaed would be. I mean, Lisa Banks is a well known attorney. She's not a dummy, so I feel like she would not have had Jason Friedman testify before Congress unless uh, she felt like it was kosher for Jason Friedman to testify before Congress. But in short, an NDA is most likely unenforceable if it's being used to cover up a crime. Now, here's something else that perhaps complicates things. If Dan Snyder kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams, that's obviously bad. That's obviously immoral. Uh, That's a crime against NFL bylaws. But is that a crime in the legal sense? So uh, that's something to be thinking about. Third thought on all of this, it's specific to this issue of the commanders allegedly having kept ticket revenue That was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. Uh, Look, I don't put anything past Dan Snyder and the team, but we do know that NFL teams' ticket revenues are subject to independent audits by multiple parties. So, Dan and the commanders, if they're guilty of having kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams, would have had to have done so in such a way that dodged independent audits. ...by multiple parties uh, would have had to have done so in a very clever, high-level way. Now, (laughs) you tell me knowing what we know about our team. uh, How often does it do things in clever and high-level ways? I mean, this team couldn't even get the crest right, okay? This team couldn't even get the retirement of Sean Taylor's number 21 right. You're telling me that this team was able to fudge numbers and cookbooks and outsmart supposedly smart people to where the team dodged independent audits by multiple parties? You're telling me that the team all of a sudden was uh, Marty Bird-like in its ability to hide money? I love Marty Bird. Uh, Maybe, okay? I mean, maybe the team reached such a level of chicanery. I mean, anything's possible but does that sound probable to you? Does that sound likely to you? You know, so much of this comes down to evidence. Uh, Does this guy, Jason Friedman, have actual legitimate evidence that the commanders kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams? Daniel Kaplan, in his report on Monday morning, said that, quote, Friedman supplied no evidence to back up his claims. End quote. But Lisa Banks in her statement on Monday afternoon said that Jason Friedman, quote, came forward at the request of the Congressional Oversight Committee and testified truthfully with evidence, end quote. So has Jason Friedman presented evidence or hasn't he? Bottom line, if Dan Snyder and the Commanders are guilty of having kept ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams, then I do think that Dan's in trouble as owner of the team. I do think that that could be what does him in as owner of the team. But if he and the team are innocent of this, or there's just no proof that they did this, then I think a few things very well could happen. A. Dan Snyder could start to become a sympathetic figure of sorts because it'll start to look like Congress has it out for him. B, the actual workplace misconduct scandal could lose steam because people, rightly or wrongly, are tying this alleged financial impropriety with the workplace misconduct scandal, Uh, even though they're two separate things. But if the alleged financial impropriety fizzles out, then I could see public appetite for the workplace misconduct scandal fizzling out, too. Uh, This is a big deal, whether there is legitimacy to this alleged financial impropriety. Uh, If there is, Dan's in trouble. If there isn't, uh, this could actually be the thing that saves Dan from all of this congressional involvement. And don't forget the wild card in all of this. If we do have the red wave in the midterm elections and the Republicans flip the House of Representatives, then congressional involvement with the commanders is done. Because the involvement has been completely partisan. Democrats in Congress are for the involvement. Republicans in Congress are against the involvement. And so the Republicans winning back the House is maybe the ultimate weapon that Dan Snyder has right now. Up next, Carson Wentz will get an in-depth look at what the commanders now have in Wentz by speaking with Cody Felger, the host of Bring the Juice which is an Indianapolis Colts podcast. Among the many things that we'll get into with Cody, Carson Wentz on the field. Uh, We've talked a lot about the Carson Wentz concerns, right? The Carson Wentz red flags in terms of leadership, lack of coachability, three teams in three years, et cetera. But with Cody, we're also going to talk about Carson Wentz, the football player. What was good? What wasn't so good about Wentz on the field for the Colts last season? All of that is straight ahead. Do not forget to subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast. If you don't already do that, subscribing costs nothing, and make sure that you never, ever miss an episode. Uh, also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please give the podcast a five-star rating, and please write a brief one or two-cent review saying how much that you like the podcast. Uh, you can also now give the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify. The ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, as does supporting the sponsors of the Al Galdi podcast, including Dr. George Verghese for all of your dermatological needs and image works if you want to grow and better market your business. Well, when it comes to our new commander's starting quarterback, our new commander's QB1, Carson Wentz, uh, you know, it's one thing for us to have seen some of Wentz have heard Things about Wentz, have read things about Wentz, but the truth is that the people who know Wentz particularly well are those who have experienced him as the starting quarterback for their team and/or those who have covered Wentz. When you're a fan of a team and/or you cover a team, you know the players on the team in a way that most others do not. And so I'm very pleased to welcome to the Algaldi podcast Cody Felger the host of Bring the Juice, which is an Indianapolis Colts podcast. You can follow Cody on Twitter at CPFelger55. Hey, Cody, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you coming on, man. So we're now a little less than a month removed since uh, the commanders and the Colts agreed on this Carson Wentz trade. They agreed on the trade on March 9th. Uh, Given the benefit of some time now, the Colts, of course, have since traded for their new quarterback, Atlanta Falcons quarterback, Matt Ryan. What is the prevailing feeling in Indianapolis about the trade of Carson Wentz to the commanders?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for the Colts, it's kind of like a... Trying to recoup what we lost from that pick from Philadelphia again a year ago. Um, and I think we were from a Colts perspective we're pretty like surprised at the amount of capital the Colts were able to get back for Carson Wentz. Cause it's been pretty out there, you know, about the potential rift between the Carson and the Colts and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. And uh, I think the biggest like surprise for us was that Washington decided to take on that entire Wentz contract, which is a big one, 28 million, I believe it is. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think from a Colts perspective, we were kind of surprised at the return that we got, you know, like a third round pick, Swapping seconds and then a potential third or second, depending on how much Wentz plays next year. So, yeah, I mean, I think from a Colts perspective, we kind of knew the time was probably drawing close, but uh, to get what we got, I think we're, for the most part, you know, Colts fans are pretty happy with the trade.
1: A major topic of conversation here in the Washington, D.C. area has been why the Colts parted ways with Carson Wentz just a year after trading for him. As you see things, what went wrong? for Wentz with the Colts?
2: I think just right from the start, you know, there was some rift between him and the organization, you know, with the whole vaccination, he decided to not get vaccinated. Um, Again, you could have your opinion on that, but I think from a Colts perspective, that maybe was the start. Even before the season started, there was some potential, like, people who weren't necessarily a fan of Wentz because of that. And then there was just things like not, I think the Colts ultimately decided that they didn't feel like he was the right leader for their team. They didn't, they weren't comfortable with putting him as a leader of their organization. And I think that should tell you something right there because Frank Reich took, he even said he stuck his neck out for Carson Wentz, right? I mean, we, people have been saying Frank Reich's a quarterback whisperer, right? Like that's, that's been kind of the the common thing that people have said, because honestly, you look at the quarterbacks they brought in and the quarterbacks they had, like Andrew Luck had a great year in 2018, one of his best years. Philip Rivers had a nice bounce-back year. Even Jacoby Brissett, you know, you saw what he did last year with the Dolphins, you're like, wow, right got a lot out of him, probably the most out of him. So, and I said this actually at the beginning of last offseason when the Colts traded for him. I said, man, if Carson Wentz fails, it's not because of the Indianapolis Colts, it's because of Carson Wentz. And I think that's what we saw. Like, it wasn't a when you look on paper, okay, it's not that bad. Like, 27 7, like, that's the thing that people like to say touchdowns to interception ratio. But I think overall, you know, there's a lot more like in game stuff that tells more of the story, right? I mean, you saw how much at the end of the year, the Colts were not having Wentz throw the ball. Like they were just fully relying on Jonathan Taylor at that point. And then when they needed Wentz to step up, he just didn't. You know, I know the team in the last couple of weeks, especially in Jacksonville, didn't step up. But you know, I think the, the thing was like with all their other quarterbacks, they felt like those guys were able to take the team to the next level. And there was a belief amongst the Colts organization, I think, that. You know, if they didn't have Carson at quarterback, they probably would have made the playoffs. You know, they, they lost two in a row there. They had, you know, they had beaten some really good teams, right, on their way to you know, sitting at nine wins. You're looking good. You're a nine and six. You're like, OK, you're probably going to make the wild card at the very least. And then you just kind of crap the bed. And it's just like, what happened? And I think, I think it was obviously something to do with playing critical situations, but also just more from a leadership standpoint they didn't feel like carson maybe was able to take some hard coaching that he needed to take um or he wasn't and also he wasn't able to he was kind of a little bit stubborn in his ways kind of set in his ways a little bit wasn't willing to grow and learn and you know i feel like with frank reich it's like man, if you can't, if you can't like flourish with Frank Reich, there might be some other issues there. So, um, one of my, you know, fellow podcasters, he brought up a really good point. It's like, yeah, we we talk about that Reich and Wentz connection, but that's been a, that was a couple of years that they were set apart. They were separate. So I think, you know, to to go back to Carson Wentz real fast, like I think on paper, he's a good, he's a good quarterback. He's a fine quarterback, about a mid tier quarterback, I would say. Um, but there's a lot more under the surface kind of like the iceberg of the car of Carson Wentz that you don't see when you initially trade for him. Like I've seen just different people who, you know, within the the DC community and stuff um, who, who like to point out some stats, honestly, a year ago I was probably talking about as well. Um, but there's a lot more beyond the surface um, that I think people will figure out. And again, hopefully it's not a distraction like with the commanders like it was last year, but Those are just some of the reasons why it just didn't work with Indianapolis. You know, it wasn't necessarily that Carson was a bad quarterback. I think you guys are getting a good quarterback, and especially with the weapons that Washington has, um, it could serve him very well. But, yeah, I I think there's just some questions around the leadership, and and now there's been two teams that have kind of had issues. So that's kind of my perspective from from a Colts fan right now, just a Colts perspective in general
1: did the leadership stuff with Carson Wentz come up during last season, or did the leadership stuff only come up after this season? Because there's a belief that the Colts' trading of Wentz was owner-fueled, that this was very much a Jim Irsay decision, and so maybe all of this leadership stuff has been leaked to justify Wentz having been traded.
2: Yeah, so the Colts are typically pretty close to the vest, I think, a lot of times. Like, a lot of this stuff isn't coming out. It came out a lot more at the end of the season. um, And I do wonder um, if those last two games really kind of sealed Carson Wentz's fate because he had some really nice moments. you remember that Arizona game. He led the team down and basically won the game on that like incredible throw to Desmond Patman. So I wonder if those last two, like maybe they had a little bit of reserve. Like, is he the guy in the last two weeks kind of in my mind, cemented like, no, he's not our future moving forward. Um, Because I think if, if you would ask the Colts mid season, if you would ask a lot of Colts fans, it would have said, yeah, We're good with Wentz being our quarterback for another couple of years at least, but just kind of the collapse uh, of the last couple of weeks is just like, oh boy, there's a lot more. He honestly, in certain ways, man, looked kind of like the 2020 Carson Wentz. Yeah. you know, he kind of reverted back to some of those tendencies and stuff. And that was a little bit alarming. It's like, what happened? You know? So I think that's kind of, I think it kind of honestly happened. And I think maybe the Colts made the decision not too long after that Jacksonville loss. I really do. And they've kind of been sitting on it. Cause you know, you know, like with Phillip Rivers, for example, the Colts pretty much, were going to say, you know, he retired obviously, but if he didn't, they were like, we want Phillip back. They were a lot, it was a lot of a different, kind of you know way they were approaching it they weren't committing to carson like they were to philip or they were to any of the other quarterbacks they've had right it almost kind of reminded me of like after jacoby's 2019 season they kind of were just like we like him but you know even this felt like less committal than they did with jacoby and they obviously moved on from jacoby so i mean i think it's very telling that the colts you know, were willing and wanted to move on from Carson Wentz, despite no plan B, at, no no definite plan B at quarterback. I think that tells you how they felt. Yeah,
1: it's uh, certainly hard to ignore that. We're talking Carson Wentz with Cody Felger, the host of Bring the Juice, which is a Colts podcast. So I mentioned the Colts owner and CEO Jim Irsay. It's as clear as can be now that Ursay wanted Carson Wentz gone. It seems as if the Colts general manager Chris Ballard was good with trading Wentz, especially given the way that Ballard in his press conference at the NFL Scouting Combine and in Indy talked about Wentz. But what about the Colts head coach, the Carson Wentz Whisperer, Frank Reich? Uh, was Reich good with trading Wentz or did Reich want to run it back with Wentz?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I do think one thing that I noticed with Reich, like, even in some of those pressures, he said, you know, he has the utmost respect for Carson and stuff, but I think he's honestly like he, he'll he defer to what the GM and, you know, the owners say because he trusts them. He trusts them to do their job. He'll advocate for that. And, and this is something that was very interesting to me. After the season, Frank Reich, in this article, they said Frank Reich apologized to Jim Irsay regarding trying to training for Carson Wentz so I think he understood that he kind of messed up there mm-hmm. you know he, he they took a shot at Carson and I think he they were kind of on the same level there of understanding like yeah he's not the guy we're looking for for our future um, so I think obviously Frank Reich loves Carson Wentz they get along very well they're very similar in you know their beliefs and everything like that but when it comes down to it I mean the Colts management and their their coaching staff, they're getting a little bit more on thin ice. You know, this is this is now year five, year six of this regime. It's like, and you haven't won anything of note. So as much as maybe Frank Reich, maybe at first was like, Yeah, maybe we want to go with Carson another year, I do think that he ultimately was like, you know what, I trust you guys and I see what you're saying. And he was willing to move on. That's kind of the perspective that I got from it. They they were all on the same page. Maybe not at first, but maybe after a while and they talked, they came to to see where they ended up. You mentioned
1: that Carson Wentz still is like a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Uh, What from Wentz last season impressed you?
2: Well, I think certainly, uh, you know, you see why he was taken so high when he was by the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, a man physically is everything you're looking for in a franchise quarterback, right? I mean, he's got the rocket arm. He's got, you know, he can fit he's not afraid to make any throw. And that's a double-edged sword because sometimes you're like, why did you throw that pass? Um, but I think overall you like that. He's, you know, still obvious. and honestly, he's still fairly young too. So you have a guy in Carson Wentz who, you know, has that arm who has, you know, that kind of pedigree and has that size. Um, and also he's mobile, which is nice. He's, he had a few nice runs there, um, you know, down the stretch, like frankly, that Phillip rivers couldn't do. Um, And I think you like that. You know, he didn't run often, but when he did, he could run for a first down. And even like there was there was a couple times where Carson was able to like this was like kind of Andrew Luckish in a way where he was able to take a hit, shrug off of it, and still make a play. Right? He's he's a guy that's always gonna want to make the play, whether or not his body's on the line or not. So I mean, he's one he's one of those guys that you know, sometimes it can be a little reckless with it. But I think you like that kind of warrior mentality and the fact that he's not afraid to throw the ball anywhere to anybody.
1: How would you describe Carson Wentz's supporting cast on offense with the Colts last season? Uh, Good? Bad? Uh, What's the right way of looking at the offensive talent that was around Wentz with the Colts?
2: Well, I will admit this: they they didn't have the best receiving core. Washington certainly has an upgrade at receiving, um, both receivers. I would say honestly, compared to what the Colts had, so I will give them, you know, that. Like they, the, the Colts definitely needed to surround their quarterback with better weapons last year. You know, Ty Hilton was injured; really, he only had Michael Pittman to go to. Um, so I think the Colts ne- didn't necessarily put Carson Wentz in the best situation there from a passing standpoint. But also, on the other hand but sometimes these guys were open and Carson just missed them. You know, there was some, I know there's like a, a tweet going around right now where Jonathan Taylor's like wide open, like 10 yards down the field. Nobody's even near him. And Carson tries to throw it that Tennessee game. I think it was the first game. It was the second game they played at home where Carson just completely doesn't see him or just ignores them and goes, tries to go deep and it gets picked off. And that's why the Colts lose that game. You know, um, so I see both sides of it, and I do wonder if it was just like sometimes Carson just is a little bit reckless with the ball where he tries to fit stuff into to windows that aren't really there. Uh, this is kind of how the Colts said it. They said he needs to be able to take the layups, right? He needs to make, take the easy passes when they come, and sometimes he, you know, he's a little reckless, and I think that was another reason why maybe some people in the organization weren't necessarily super happy with him is because – It's a roller coaster, man. It's a roller coaster with Carson. Like some weeks he looks fantastic. He looks like a top 10 quarterback. Then there's other weeks, you're like, dude, have you ever thrown a pass? Like what is going on right now? (laughs) You understand when you see Carson Wentz play. Like I thought it was all smoke and mirrors from the Philadelphia media last offseason. But it's true, man. It was so true. Um So, good luck. It's going to be very interesting because he does have better weapons. So, I do think it may translate to some better play. But also, you got to be, sometimes it's like, wow, Carson, that was an incredible throw. And sometimes it's like, Carson, what were you looking at, man? So, it's going to be an experience for you guys. It's going to be. (laughs) I hear you, man. The Carson Wentz experience.
1: Uh, We're all trying to figure out what exactly that'll be. Cody Felger, the host of Bring the Juice, which is a Colts podcast. Cody, I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. You as well. Appreciate you having me on. Well, do
1: not look now, but the Wizards are doing what has been an oh-so-typical Wizards thing over the years, and that thing is winning late in an otherwise bad season. Uh, the Wizards on Tuesday night won for a fifth time in seven games, a 132-114 win at the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, the Timberwolves are good this season. They came into the game 45-34. and on the season, the Wizards improved to 35 and 44. The Wizards, as you likely know, are done in terms of playing tournament contention. The Wiz are playing out the strings. So these wins are only hurting our Wizards from a standpoint of ping pong balls in the NBA draft lottery. Yes, these wins only serve to damage Operation Ping Pong Balls. Uh, also, it has been a strange stretch for the Wizards because they now, over their last three games, have had two really impressive wins sandwiched around a terrible loss. Uh, over these last three games, the Wizards either have been excellent or have been awful. Uh, Friday night, a 135-103 round of the Dallas Mavericks at Capital One Arena. Sunday afternoon, a 144-102 loss at the Boston Celtics. And now on Tuesday night, a 132-114 win at the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the Wizards have gone from a 32-point blowout of the Mavericks at Capital One Arena on Friday night to then a 42-point loss at the Celtics on Sunday afternoon to now an 18-point win at the Timberwolves on Tuesday night. Uh, The game was tied at 78 in the third quarter. The Wizards then went on a 44-21 run for a 23-point lead in the fourth quarter at 122. 99. Now, look, like I said, these wins are damaging the Wizards NBA draft lottery opportunity, but the wins are impressive and the wins are encouraging in terms of what some of the younger Wizards players are doing. The Wizards do remain without two of their best players. Uh, Kyle Kuzma now has not played in each of the Wizards last 10 games due to right knee tendinitis. It certainly would seem as if he's done for the season. I mean, there's no point at this point in him playing again this season. And the Wizards remain without Bradley Beal, uh, who is done for the season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he underwent surgery on February 10th. But the Wizards have been better here lately. I mean, their three-point defense has been mostly great lately. The Wizards' three-point defense on Tuesday night was good for a sixth time in seven games. Uh, The Wizards on Tuesday night held the Timberwolves to just 14 of 41 on threes. Uh, The Wizards' offense on Tuesday night was terrific, 13 of 30 on threes, 36 of 54 in the paint. The Wizards outscored the Timberwolves in the paint, 72-42. Yes, the Wizards had a plus 30 point differential in the paint on Tuesday night. Uh, Wiz did struggle on free throws, 7-14, but how about this? The Wizards finished with 38 assists versus just 10 turnovers. Uh, we had another good game for Chris Damps Porzingis, 3-5 on threes, 8-12 on twos. He finished with 25 points and 8 rebounds in just 27 minutes, 11 seconds as a starter. I tell you, Porzingis has played well for the Wizards Uh, Since finally debuting for them off having been acquired by them on NBA trade deadline day on February 10th. You know, he's not playing a ton as a starter because of his knee issue, but he's been efficient. I mean, Tuesday night, 25 points in just 27-11 as a starter. Uh, Rui Hachimura continues to mostly do well lately. Good game for him on Tuesday night. 3 of 4 on threes, 5 of 11 on twos. He did go just 2 of 6 on free throws, but he finished with 21 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists versus 1 turnover, and a game-best time plus-minus rating of plus-17 in 3723 as a starter and then there was the Wizards bench. Uh so Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. on Tuesday night played just eight players but the three guys who Wes Jr played off the bench all delivered big time. Ish Smith, Ish happens. Uh my man Ish Smith on Tuesday night 2951 off the bench. Now he went just 4 12 on twos, but he went one to two on threes and he nearly had a triple double. Yeah. Ish, like Ice Cube back in the day, messed around and nearly had a triple-double. Eight points, 14 assists versus no turnovers, and eight rebounds. Yeah, Ish on Tuesday night had 14 assists versus no turnovers. Uh, As you may know by now, I love myself. The Ish Smith assist-to-turnover ratio. The Wizards reacquired Ish on NBA trade deadline day on February 10th. He now has played in 25 games for the Wizards this season-ish over those 25 games. Has 134 assists versus just 34 turnovers. Yes, a 100 more assists than turnovers. That's outstanding. Uh, Daniel Gafford was outstanding on Tuesday night. West Unsell Jr. interestingly had Gafford playing at the same time as Chris Porzingis was playing. And Gafford was good. Uh, Gafford in thirty-one twenty-six off the bench, went 10 of 11 from the field, all twos, four of five on free throws. He finished with 24 points, 12 rebounds, including three offensive boards, three assists versus no turnovers, and a game best time plus minus rating of plus 17. Here was West Jr. during his postgame press conference late night on Tuesday night on Gafford.
0: I think on the heels of, you know, last several games, I think it, uh, you know, he's had some good moments but uh, you know from start to finish i thought he was solid uh, his activity level uh, his discipline with his angles of his screens uh and that was a big piece of it and we got going early uh, you know early attacks and pick and rolls because his his angles set all that up uh, and it's something that we've been stressing to see you know have the opportunity to do it do it at a high level um defensively i thought he was solid uh, his activity his awareness guarding a shooter you know, not you know, being overly aggressive and taking himself out of the play, but being able to get back, contest, uh, stay in the play. And uh, that's big for a guy who's struggled at times versus those type matchups.
1: Yeah, good to see Gafford do as he did. Uh, also, good off the bench for the Wizards on Tuesday night was Denny Avdia, 35 uh, 39 off the bench. He went just two of seven on threes and just one of three on free throws, but he also went five of eight on twos and finished with 17 points, eight rebounds. Five assists versus three turnovers and two blocks. So really good production for the Wizards bench on Tuesday night with Is Smith, Daniel Gafford, and Denny Avdi. Uh, uh, West Jr. on Tuesday night did again start Thomas Saturansky, a point guard over Hole Netto. Seventh consecutive game that we've had that. Uh, Saturansky in just 2017 as a starter went 0 of 1 on threes, 4-6 on twos, finished with eight points, seven assists versus one turnover. So Thomas Sadarinsky and Ish Smith on Tuesday night combined for twenty-one assists versus one turnover. Uh Neto was a DNP C D Thomas Bryan was a DNP C D for a 12th time in 17 games. So, yeah, it's sort of like push-pull right now as a Wizards fan. I mean, I don't like that the Wizards are hurting their NBA draft lottery opportunity with these wins, but I do like the good performances that we're seeing from some of these guys, you know, especially Chris Dams Porzingis, Rui Hachimura, Daniel Gafford, and Danny Avdia. Uh, the Wizards have just three regular season games left, including a game on Wednesday night. The Wiz will be at the Atlanta Hawks Wednesday night at eight. Well, the Nationals exhibition season is over. Their 2022 spring training is over and their opening day roster now is more or less set. Uh, There are some transactions that still must be made. But we, on Tuesday, had the Nats season opening roster come into focus. Uh, Opening day is on Thursday. The Nats will begin their 2022 regular season with a four-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Now, we'll see if the weather cooperates because there's rain all over the Washington, D.C. area forecast over the next few days. Uh, The weather in the D.C. area has been so lovely here lately. Uh, Yeah, like, 10 to 15 degrees cooler than it's supposed to be, and a whole lot of rain uh, in recent days. But uh, the Nats opening day game is scheduled for Thursday afternoon at 4.05. Uh, I have barely talked about how the Nats have been doing in their exhibition games, because uh, baseball exhibition games mean so little. But for whatever it is worth, uh, the Nats ended up going 4-11 and 11 in their Grapefruit League games this year. Uh, The Nats' offense did come alive toward the end of their exhibition season, including on Tuesday afternoon a 14-0 route of the Mets. But the big news on Tuesday with the Nats was their opening day roster becoming clear, especially the Nats' pitching staff. Uh, So I, on Tuesday's show, episode 285, talked about the rise of this young starting pitcher, Johan Adone. Nats manager Davey Martinez in a post-game press conference on Monday basically lobbied for Adone to make the Nats' season opening rotation. Well, Adone, he has made it. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday evening optioned two pitchers to AAA Rochester, Josh Rogers and Sam Clay. Uh, Rogers had been projected to make the Nats' season opening rotation or at least make the team as a long man reliever but both he and clay who is a reliever were optioned to rochester meaning that yoan adone has made the nats season opening rotation uh, also the nats on tuesday morning announced that they had selected the contract of anibal sanchez meaning that he has made the nats season opening Rotation. Now, I do wonder about Adone making the Nats season opening rotation over a younger pitcher in Rodgers as opposed to an older pitcher in Sanchez, especially given that Sanchez didn't even pitch in the majors last season. You know, it felt these last few weeks like the Nats were setting up Josh Rodgers to fail in terms of not making. The season opening rotation, he barely pitched in the exhibition season, whereas the Nats were setting up Anibal Sanchez to succeed, i.e. Sanchez was very much positioned to make the Nats season opening rotation. Uh, I get that Josh Rogers is optionable. Uh Annabelle Sanchez is with the Nets on a minor league deal, but again, didn't pitch in the majors last season. He's an older pitcher. Like, where exactly is Annabelle Sanchez taking you? So I do wonder about uh Adone taking Rogers' spot as opposed to Sanchez's spot. Like, why couldn't you have gone with Adone and Rogers in the rotation and not Sanchez? But I'm happy for Johan Adone. I mean, a guy like him is exactly what the rebuilding Nats need. A young pitcher uh, coming out of basically nowhere here to maybe be a diamond in the rough. The 2022 season will be Adon's age 23 season. The Nats signed Adon as an amateur free agent out of the Dominican Republic in July 2016. He's best known for starting the Nats season finale Last year, and he pitched well in that game. The Nats last October third recalled Dodon from AAA Rochester to start the Nats' final game of the 2021 season. He had thrown a total of 18 innings above the high level in the minors in the 2021 season, but he ended up doing pretty well in what ended up being a 7-5 loss to the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park last October third. Two runs in five into third innings, nine strikeouts versus three walks, a hit by pitch and a wild pitch. He gave up six hits, a homer, and five singles. Now, also on Tuesday was some bad news regarding Nats reliever Will Harris. Uh, Davey Martinez on Tuesday morning revealed that Harris has undergone a follow-up procedure to clean scar tissue that remained from his surgery last June 4th to address thoracic outlet syndrome, which is what Steven Strasburg is coming off of. So here we have yet another setback for Will Harris, uh, the 2022 season will be Harris's age 37 season and the final season of a three-year, $24 million free agent contract, to which the Nats signed Harris in January 2020. But this is a contract that just has not worked out. Uh, Will Harris over his first two regular seasons with the Nats has totaled just 23 and two-thirds innings. Uh, and this is off Harris over the previous five seasons, 2015 through 2019, uh, having been good and mostly durable for the Houston Astros. You know, the Nats never seem to have any luck with relievers. When the Nats don't acquire relievers with impressive resumes, the bullpen ends up being bad. And we say, why didn't the Nats acquire any relievers? And then when the Nats do something like sign a Will Harris, who has an impressive resume, the signing doesn't work out uh the Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo the guy is like darned if he does and darned if he does not uh with these Nats bullpens the bullpen has been a trouble spot for Rizzo uh also the Nats on Tuesday morning optioned reliever Hunter Harvey to AAA Rochester so the Nats opening day bullpen uh does appear more or less set now Uh, Steve c Sean Doolittle, Paolo Espino, Kyle Finnegan Tanner Rainey, Andres Machado, Patrick Murphy, Mason Thompson, Austin Voth, and Victor Arano, who was a non-roster invitee to Nats camp. And the Nats opening day rotation uh, will be, in some order, Patrick Corbin, Josiah Gray, Eric Fetty, Annabelle Sanchez, and yes, Johan Adone. And if you're wondering about the Orioles, uh, their opening day roster still is coming into focus. Uh, the Oz on Tuesday morning did option pitcher Zach Lowther to AAA Norfolk, but there's still a good bit to at least become clear when it comes to the Orioles rotation. All right, before we call it a show, another. Georgetown player has entered the NCAA transfer portal, Kobe Clark. Uh, Now, he barely played over his two seasons with the Hoyas, but we're now up to four Georgetown players who have entered the NCAA transfer portal since the end of the Hoyas season, a season in which Georgetown went 0-20 in Big East games. Uh, The most significant Hoyas player in the NCAA transfer portal is Timothy Igwefe, a 7-footer. From Nigeria. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday's show, episode 287, will be a loaded show on which I will welcome a special guest, Ohio State football insider Nathan Baird. Of cleveland.com. So the commanders on Thursday reportedly will be hosting Ohio State receiver Chris Olave of uh, the 2022 NFL draft, as you perhaps already know, said to be loaded with quality receivers. Two of the best are Buckeyes and Chris Olave. And Garrett Wilson. And so I on Thursday's show will talk about those guys, as well as two Ohio State products on the Commanders, Terry McLaurin and Chase Young with Nathan Baird. Also, Thursday's show will be a special Nationals and Orioles season preview show. Opening day is Thursday. Uh neither team is expected to be good, but that doesn't mean that each team won't be interesting, so I'll discuss what truly matters for the Nats and Does in their 2022 seasons. And I'll talk Capitals and Wizards. Uh, the Caps will host the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, Wednesday night at 7.30. The Wiz will be at the Atlanta Hawks Wednesday night at 8. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.
2: You like it in Jews, eh? <laughs>